నమస్తే వెల్కమ్ టు ద హిందూ పేరెంటింగ్ పాడ్కాస్ట్ ద ఫ్యామిలీ ఇస్ అ కీ ఇన్స్టిట్యూషన్ ఇన్ ద హిందూ సోషల్ స్ట్రక్చర్ అండ్ వన్ ఆఫ్ ద రీజన్స్ ఫర్ దిస్ పాడ్కాస్ట్ ఇస్ టు ఎన్షూర్ సివిలైజేషనల్ కంటిన్యూటీ through the family let's take an honest realistic look at the family today how important is the family for sanatana dharma to flourish what are the difficulties the problems within families is there an incentive for young people to stay within a large extended family what can hold a family together in modern times today's guest is the brilliant pankaj saxena who brings a rare clarity to hindu concerns pankaj saxena is co-founder and director of cultural research at brihat he is an author on hindu temples arts literature history and culture his writing explains the beauty of sanatana dharma through stories about traditions communities and culture he has a deep interest in cultural anthropology evolutionary biology and ecology and has visited more than 1200 hindu temples namaste pankaj ji it's an honor to have this important discussion with you today welcome to the podcast namaste namaste rekha ji thank you very much for inviting me here and to give me this opportunity to talk to you on this very important subject thank you for uh, being here today uh, before we start I'd like to tell our listeners that uh, Pankaj ji teaches many important courses. I was fortunate to take his online course on Sri Ram Swarup's writings. Uh, I encourage everyone to have your high school and college going children to also take the course to understand who we are as a people and to form a strong sense of identity. Thank you Pankaj ji for making the works of great thinkers accessible to us. Thank you. Thank you for that knowledgement. i am just happy to serve the gurus who taught me uh, the various gurus because uh, uh, if you just convey what they have created the great uh, literature that they have created to the next generation then it's uh, i consider it uh, fulfillment of a uh, life work because when uh, my guru initiated me into all of this and he gave me the books of uh, shri ram swarup ji and shri sita ram ji at that time he would uh, buy the entire set of voice of india books and gift it to everyone every few weeks and there were hardly any people to read that there were few who like us who caught on it but very few 20 years later when i take this course as uh, you mentioned people actually pay 2000 2500 rupees in hundreds to attend that course so the jyoti the jwala that uh, shri ram swarup ji and shri sita ram ji that they kindled has resulted into a generation of audience which is willing to listen to these ideas whereas 20 years ago if you were to shout at the top of your voice there were scarcely anyone to even listen to you on these topics but now because of them because of their work you have an entire audience of at least i guess uh, 5 to 10 lakh of people who are ready to listen if we continue this momentum for one more generation next 20 to 30 years that we will attain the critical mass of hindus who will be able to sway policies towards a hindu way indeed and uh, that's why i wanted to bring in a few words about having young people take the course and that is in parents hands i still feel uh, you know high school children their uh, minds are just opening up and it would be fantastic if parents can actually encourage their children to take Uh, a course like that because you know reading books is much harder but taking a course is just very easy and yes. especially 
uh, when you when you have already done years of study and thought to present all these ideas in a very simple way and uh, yeah. you know we can just make use of this modern technology so yeah. we we also took one more step on the work of shri sidham ji and shri ram swarup ji there are two handles on twitter if you are familiar see, uh, on the works of shri sitaram goel and shri ram swarup ji so uh, two of our colleagues akshay jha anshuman panda and i we created these handles and we put out the bite sized wisdom of srg and srs daily on twitter so thousands have been educated through their words and they keep getting educated through that so that's also a brahat undertaking which we have been doing for more than a year now so what are the handle names pankaj ji on twitter sitaram goel shri ram swarup and sitaram goel okay so it's um, by their names only by their names and by their caricature okay. of yeah yes so let's start uh, today with uh, the topic of family family in classical hindu society and also what is the role of family in maintaining civilizational continuity uh thank you thank you for asking that question because uh, ever since i was growing up uh, there was one consensus on the loss on the cultural loss that we all had everyone was saying that uh, india's family system is something unique and it's being lost now so there are problems because of that so there was this widespread recognition that family is something extremely precious and the way india handles it way bharatvarsha created and evolved it it was something more special than the idea of family anywhere else in the world they didn't know exactly what they didn't know exactly how family was important but there was this sense that it was extremely important and something destructive to that fundamental unit system was happening as we were speaking as we were growing up uh, i certainly do not hold any uh, delusion that i know Uh, the exact uh, uh, definition of family as the, all the shastras uh, say and how we have uh, we should uh, evolve it uh, i have just uh, come to an understanding of it through my own experiences and uh, through reading great gurus like sri uh, ram swarup ji sri sita ram ji and through the discourses bhashan of uh, my own guru and various other such knowledgeable people so how i understand family as uh, that in bharatvarsh kutumb your own parivar and kutumb is a means to achieve fulfill your kartavya for that we need to just go a little take an aside not an aside but the background of it that being hindu means to perform to fulfill your kartavyas your duties towards various things in the universe various ideas various set of groups towards the universe which is the avdharna the uh, foundation of panchrinas as explained by the uh, vedic literature and also later up, upon by itihasas puranas and all other shastras that just because we are born and we take the benefit of the family of mother and father who feed us who bring us up the society which protects us which educates us which gives us every other dimension outside the family there are certain rinas on us just by the sheer act of being born so if you were to define dharma in this way there are cosmic rhythms cosmic cycles in this universe in this uh, on this globe there are universal cycles which are so big that are, they are not instantly visible and cognizant to us but they work in the background 
Mm-hmm. These are the cosmic rhythms in the case of an individual, which I just explained, uh, while you are being born, these cycles work on us. And we take benefit of these cycles so that we grow up and become independent later on. So this cos- these cosmic rhythms are called as rit in Sanskrit. This rit, the very cycle and wheel of rit creates a runner on us. Because the sheer act of being born, you have to take help of the entire society just to survive and become an adult. So the entire imagination of Hindu cosmology, entire Hindu cosmology is based on this Kartavya Bodh. That just because we there is Rith which creates a rin on us to repay that rin, for the want of a better word in English, to repay that debt is dharma. And how to repay that? Through being responsible towards nature and culture. So, which is divine, uh, defined by Pancha Rinas, five Rinas on us. Rinas to the Deva, Rinas to uh, sages, Rinas to Rina to Brahmins, uh, Rina to Pitra, and Rin to Nara, to your fellow people. So, entire nature and culture, the universe, the cosmos, flora and fauna, animals, plants, your fellow human beings, even insects, they are all included in this that you take benefit just because you survive, you breathe. So you breathe in pure air. That is because the environment is pure. That is because there are trees who make the air pure. So that is a rain on you. You get food to eat because there is an ecosystem, natural ecosystem, which makes it possible for that food to grow. And the cultural ecosystem makes it possible for that uh, uh, for uh, to create a system in which there are units where you can actually process that food uh, process I'm not talking in industrial terms, but in very, very traditional, conventional terms, even at home, and that you get the benefit through the agency of family, you get to eat that food, that is a rain on you. That you, the sheer fact that you were born was because your parents decided to have children, which is said to be the ultimate point of Hindu marriage. That santati, santan prapti, to have children is a very central idea to the idea of Hindu marriage. Because the idea is to perpetuate the dharmic system that has been created on earth and in this sacred land of Bharat worship. How do you do that? By creating and continuing the parampara. The parampara is being continued in various ways, but the two most potent ways are, first of all, Guru Shishya Parampara, where directly the Siddhanta, the principles are being propagated by the Guru to the Shishya. The second way is through family, where all the rituals and practices and customs where principles in their manifestations are continued, are carried over to next generations. While the Guru Shishya Parampara takes care of propounding and uh, carrying forward the principles, the family actually carries forward the manifestations. And these are the two pillars. These are the two continuations. So you have to continue it. That, that's the idea behind uh, getting children and supporting it. That's why Grahasa Ashram. Grahasa Ashram is when you marry, you beget kids, and you perform your kartavis toward uh, them and through them towards the society is a very central idea to uh, being Hindu because it is a grass ashram which supports every other ashram. It is a grass ashram which supports the knowledge seekers. You may call them Brahmins, you may not call them Brahmins, but it is the grass ashram which supports the knowledge seeking society. It is a grass ashram which supports the sannyasa. It is a grass ashram which supports anything which needs a nationwide scale. So that's why it is considered very sacred. So you perpetuate your parampara, your tradition by continuing the family, 
and through that getting children and uh, carrying forward the tradition this you do by a very active sense of kartavibodh which is located in the pancharinas family is a unit which makes the individual which makes it far easier for the individual to repay those pancharinas to continue that uh, uh, tradition forward that is the importance of family in my view yeah so then uh, on the same uh, point let's talk a little bit about the traditional family structure um today if you see there's an unprecedented at attack on the family as an institution itself you know it is considered as an oppressive institution um a, a problematic institution that perhaps needs to be um overturned and yet uh, yeah. the only picture that we paint to young people is one of a rosy nostalgic intergenerational harmony uh, so these are views on two different extremes fighting for the mind yeah. space of today's uh, young generation of hindus so how can we bridge this gap and where do we start yeah thank you thank you for this question uh, the first part at least uh, uh, at first uh, let's go into that it is very natural for the enemies of hindu civilization enemies of bharatvarsh and sanatan dharm to attack family as a unit because family is the most immediate unit that an individual depends upon for intellectual psychological social physical and spiritual comfort to know what is right and wrong to fall back upon the old system system that is native that is traditional that is indigenous that is hindu that is bharati that is sanatan so it is very natural for them to attack it because if the family is not destroyed then their ideas won't actually sell why is it in their benefit to do it because they want to create ultimately make reduce individual to just individual which is a very idea of enlightenment the enlightenment bill of rights human rights is based upon the idea of individual as an individual while we have a very different idea of course we also have the avdharana of a vyakti but we also have the Uh, concept of samasti of course there is an individual but that does not mean that there can be no other identity in sanatan dharm there is uh, there are many identities ensconced between one between another so for example of course there is uh, the individual but then the immediate uh, uh, unit bigger than the individual is parivar and kutumb kutumb is the greater kith and kin that uh, those who live around you our uh, mama chacha kaka that uh, sort of family so that is your kutumb after that that is there is your kshetra there is your uh, jati there is your varna and other uh, groupings that we do by job and by other things and above that there is desh and beyond above even desh is dharm or sanatan dharm this is the pyramid of identities that sanatan dharm that any hindu traverses through in a sanatan world view now there is a hierarchy of identities in this the topmost priority is always sanatan dharm is always dharm dharm is the greatest priority for any individual in any case in any situation so if your desh dharm is in conflict with sanatan dharm then you have to actually cater to serve sanatan dharm and not desh dharm in that situation that does not mean you do not agree with the idea of desh but the lower idea has to serve the higher idea so of course i can uh, have 
my own individuality i can enjoy myself but that enjoyment has to be in such a way that it feeds into and serves the greater unit of parivar and kutumb which then in their turn feed the greater unit of uh, uh, varna and kshetra which then they feed to desh and then the idea of desh feeds to idea of sanatan dharma so the lower identity is in service of the higher identity and that's how the pyramid of dharma works uh some of these uh, uh units some of these institutions are no longer as effective or some, almost completely they have disappeared for example varnashram dharma is no longer there except few archa communities who follow it uh, in hindu temples who are the temple priests temple archakas who live in and around the temple apart from that varnashram dharma is almost completely uh, disappeared so that category is no more there but that does not mean the higher categories disappear with that too uh, so all of these identities a hindu carries all of these identities together for a westerner for a western mind you need to only have because they have this monotheistic idea about everything you are either a unit of society which is the idea of islam or you are a perfect individual who is not answerable to any one and any idea and any structure any institution which is the very nihilist idea that comes out from the west and they like a pendulum they swing between these two extremes sometimes they go to one uh, to the orthodox uh, extreme which uh, was the case with uh, christian europe in the middle ages when they were uh, completely beholden to the christian judeo christian idea of uh, life and then comes the other extreme where they go nihilist and go to the other extreme uh, which they have now where uh, let alone your religion country your gender even the gender is no no longer a reality even the individual is no longer a reality one can be as many individuals or units or whatever they think about so uh, these are the two extremes sanatan dharma always talks about and works upon balance just because you are part of a bigger unit doesn't mean you cannot become an individual just because you are an individual doesn't mean you cannot become a part of other uh, different institutions other intermediary identities and actually that was the most beautiful system because we ensconced our identities one between one inside another inside another inside another so we had these multiple identities if one of them broke down there was not a sudden psychological crisis so unlike the western war of identities between one identity and other sanatan dharma always created a balance of identities and comforted one with the other the extremes of one identity with the other if you don't do that you need constant revolutions for example in the west uh, one set of totalitarian idea comes then another set of uh, very free nihilist uh, sort of society comes they keep reacting and revolting against uh, uh, one another and that's how they proceed in violent jerks that they call as revolutions whether sanatan dharma works on eternal balance if you can if you wish you can imagine it as a thermostat which always seeks to create balance wherever you lose balance in one direction it will seek to drag you in another direction if you lose then that balance in another direction it will then bring you back towards the mean and that is always the uh, attempt of sanatan dharma so that uh, society conducive to dharma is created now one might ask why are these identities created in scones between like nested dolls one between another so because the greatest idea is that of dharma and moksha is the greatest goal that you can achieve in a dharmic society so that all of us in idea at least are led towards the goal of moksha 
Now, people will say not everyone gets moksha, of course. Actually, parts per million, not even one in thousands, parts per million get moksha in one life. But moksha is, of course, not a case of one life. We traverse through many lives and that's how we get moksha, uh, ultimately. Because we all, the Hindu cosmology says that we all come from the same supreme consciousness. The universe is the descent of consciousness. It's not the evolution of matter. So I'm not saying here evolution is wrong. I study evolution. I am a student of evolutionary biology. But mm -hmm. the way the universe has, our way is, it is the descent of consciousness. Matter evolves from consciousness and not the other way around. Matter actually descends from consciousness. This is the Hindu uh, way uh, of uh, uh, cosmology of thinking of life. So that's the idea. Now, the question that you asked, uh, uh, that uh, what we present as the very rosy idea of uh, family, uh, so the first part is, of course, they would attack because this is the theory of uh, Hindu family and why it is important. And uh, on the other hand, we present a rosy picture, which certain, uh, which a lot of our uh, youth, they don't identify with. Uh, uh, they say that you have an idealistic image of family. It's not like that in practice. And of course, there are many bad things. And uh, so that it's not as good as rosy. Uh, of course, there is... Uh, the practice can always deviate from the theory. So one thing is that. But there is certain, some things, some deeper rots that have sat in, in the family as we see it. And it is not because of Sanatan Dharma. It is actually despite of Sanatan and Hindu Dharma. Uh, I think, Pankaji, is, this is, uh, if I may interrupt, uh, this is a really, really important point because I do notice uh, many young people blaming everything on Sanatan Dharma. So yeah. this is very, very important distinction. They think that, I mean, take the case of dowry, which is in the news right yeah. now, you know, as we speak. Yeah. So yeah. anything and everything, like maybe the evils, any social evil or rot that has set in uh, is yeah. conveniently blamed on Sanatan Dharma by yeah. our own people and by people who are not our well-wishers, let's say. Yes. And yes. Uh, whereas social evils in any other system are just yeah. looked upon as some kind of, uh, you know, it, it just so happens. So we yes. are at the receiving end and we have to actually be able to, as parents, I think have this clarity and uh, make sure that, you know, our children don't end up blaming Sanatan Dharma for everything. It is very yeah. illogical. Yeah. We have to yeah. develop the yeah. theory behind, you know, uh, yeah. hone the arguments here. So yeah. Uh, yeah. that's important. Yeah. And that, there is a very specific reason that I'm saying this, that it is despite of Sanatandharan, not because of. As we begin this podcast by discussing Kartavyabhut, the idea of uh, fulfilling your duties in life. And that's how repaying the rena that is upon you because uh, you are born in this world. So why, uh, where the rot set in is that the entire Hindu idea is based on the sense of duties on the narrative mm -hmm. of duties. Family is also on the narrative of duties. That what a husband has to do for the wife, what a wife has to do for the husband, what the husband, uh, what the father has to do for children, what the children have to do for father and mother, what the siblings have to do for each other, and then what the entire society, entire family has to do for other members of the extended family and towards other societies. So this is how it is built on the narrative of duties. The rot set in when we started entertaining without the attached ideas of duty, when we started entertaining the narrative of rights within the family and forgot about our duties. So I saw that somewhere in last generation, in the generation of my parents, 
uh, in some bigger cities maybe even before that my grandparents generation but in smaller third year cities i come from gwalior i was born in gwalior that happened in my parents generation that they hunkered down on their rights and forgot about their duties so for example the a lot of fathers of my generation would say husbands of my generation would say they would always uh, you know uh, taunt lo uh, you see this is how the shastras say the wife should be forgetting very conveniently at the same time that they also ordain a lot of things for the husbands to do and they are very conveniently forgetting that part and reminding mm-hmm. the wife of their part because they want their rights similarly with wives i am not blaming any gender or any specific uh, post here uh, the wives would also do that blame the husband for everything for not doing what they uh, were supposed to do and at the same time forgetting their part children forgetting uh, their part parents forgetting their part for example a lot of parents of uh, my uh, uh, parents generation they would still they would say that their kids their children should absolutely submit to their authority because they are parents and suddenly they would remember the shastras when the kids would grow up that shastras command that you should you know serve us the mother and father and all of that and this but at the same time very conveniently forgetting that they themselves forgot the idea forgot to fulfill their own duties to dharm mm-hmm. and there are various layers to this so we need to get just 2 3 minutes into it that first of all a lot of parents forgot their duties towards their children themselves in the sense that they didn't instill enough sense of dharm and kartavya bodh sense of duty into them and some others who were better than them who did all of their duties towards their children almost all but mm-hmm. forgot that the unit of family exists to serve the greater idea of sanatan dharma Mm-hmm. that you cannot call upon your children to earn money and let that be the ultimate goal to succeed in life by which they meant my parents generation meant succeed in life means earn more money and so there were two goals my guru used to say that uh, your parents generation uh, uh, which by which he meant his generation they were crazy about two things earn money and learn english and they achieved both but in that process they lost everything else so they forgot that the idea of family exists to serve the greater idea of dharma of sanatan dharma the authority that they command over their children is derived from their paying uh, full, their fulfilling of duty towards sanatan dharma and so if they do not fulfill their duty towards sanatan dharma they have no right to call upon their children to devote and absolutely subject their entire lives to them mm-hmm. so this this is very this is when the narrative of rights barges in the hindu universe enters the very idea of family corrupts it from within and when every when members of the family become only individuals start demanding their rights that's when the rot set in so this is not the idea of sanatan dharma this is uh, despite of sanatan dharma because a set of parents who are not devoting their lives to sanatan dharma they have no right to call their children to devote their entire lives to them they cannot say that earn as much as you can and then give it all to us and make you know big bangla get big cars show off in the society you know throw off a wedding uh, of uh, 2 crores or uh, destination wedding or all of these things if these are the, if their goals then that is not they are no longer authorized to command their children Uh, once they are past a certain age of 16 17 or 18 whatever you may want to choose their authority to command their children is derived from their fulfilling of their duties towards sanatan so that is why, that's why i'm repeating it so that we remember that's where the rot set in mm-hmm. 
and if a set of parents and if a bigger unit of elders say that the next generation has to serve them then the next generation if they see dharma more clearly then the dharmic sense supersedes this intermediary identity it might be of uh, one of jati of any other community even of family and incidentally i would like to bring in i i hate to unnecessarily bring in shastras into any discussion but i do that on very rare occasions I, this is perhaps the first example that i bring in directly the example of gita what is shri krishna doing in the battlefield there are arjun is with anger and with certain disgust he is saying what are you telling me to do you are telling me to kill my parent uh, kill my cousins my brothers my gurus my kith and kin uh, aren't we hindus aren't we arya Uh, we aren't we commanded to serve family, to treat our gurus like their gods, to treat our treat our parents and uh, our elders like their gods? Into which she Krishna says, because they have forgotten dharma, you no longer need to respect them and their particular posts because they have violated dharma. So that you need to serve greater dharma and if a higher entity than you, for example, if there is an individual who knows what dharma is. and if he sees a higher identity violating that then he need not agree to that uh, intermediary identity he, he should serve ultimately sanatan dharma by overpassing that identity that is why shri krishna is saying that otherwise in all of our shastras in mahabharata itself the mahima of parivar and kutumb and all of that is again and again installed all throughout the granth and yet in gita he says kill your cousins kill even the gurus guru hatya is a great great pap in hindu universe and he is exhorting the very lord is exhorting arjuna to do that because even if here the idea is even if an elder who is in the position of a teacher violates sanatan dharma then you no longer need to accede to his or her authority so that we should be very clear about that in this generation what happened is that they they forgot their greater duties towards sanatan dharma towards desh bharat ke liye apne kartavya ko bhul gaye they forgot their kartavya towards bharat varsh towards sanatan dharma and they said Uh, earn a lot of money by any means possible half of them by any means possible and you know get bigger and bigger homes get bigger and bigger cars throw bigger and bigger weddings and that should be the goal of your life which is not true which is not due to sanatan dharma and if such a setup asks you to submit yourself completely to them uh, then that individual is free to not uh, listen to that uh, identity uh, to entity another thing is that varnashram dharma is made of two words varn and ashram and two institution while varn looks towards your past recognizes the differences of your birth based on the sanchit karma and prarabdha of your all of your previous lives and it recognizes those distinctions ashram looks towards the future and seeks to equalize all through many lives but ultimately even in that one life and i will explain how varnashandam says that you have certain set of kartavyas according to your birth so that it does recognize your uh, distinction by birth but then if you see ashramas in brahmacharya when you go to study then you go towards grahast where all the social distinctions are real but when you go to vanaprastha vanaprastha is when when your kids get married in two or three or four or five it's arbitrary but the idea is just a little after your kids are married you start withdrawing from the world vanaprast is the uh, uh, age when you actually start winding up 
divert yourself towards sadhana and dharm train the next generation in the social chores to make them carry the tradition forward and when sanyas comes everyone all distinctions are lost of gender of varna of jati all distinctions are lost so while varna recognizes the differences of birds building on them ashram seeks to equalize everything towards the end of your life the problem with uh, uh, the last two three hindu generations is that my parents generation they forgot to do one prastha tone mm-hmm. when their kids got married they actually did not want to withdraw from active decision making they actually got more and more interested in sansara instead of getting away from it instead of doing bhajan and sandhya to say to tell your parents that you should read ramayan became a gali oh he wants me to uh, you know do this and bhakti and where bhagwan go there and uh, he he wants to and he or she the evil girl who came barging into my house and the evil boy for uh, different points of view uh, they they want us to retire so that they can enjoy all this we are not that easy to dislodge and all and all of that we have seen these uh, sort of very uh, grahaklesha in almost every second home because they forgot to re- uh, wind up they forgot that vanaprastha is they it, they are ordained to do it if you are a hindu if you are living in a hindu universe you are ordained to do vanaprastha you are ordained to withdraw from life that is what gets you the respect as an elder that is what gives you the authority so that others listen to you on greater matters of dharma when you stop deciding what sort of bed sheet should be you know used in the bedroom and what sort of lamp should be used in uh, uh, the drawing room you leave those decisions to the younger generation so they have the breathing space they feel in control of life they feel that they also have their individuality they also can enjoy their lives and not are not suffocated and at the same time you engage yourself in more public things so basically the idea was that and it was a beautiful system until my grandmother's grandfather's generation after one plus it was not like this would suddenly you know disappear from the way they would actually concern themselves with uh, oh let's organize the bhagwat in society let's organize some ramlila let's do ganesh utsava let's do this so ganesh utsava and all of this was not just by youth youth was the uh, you know the muscle power but these public occasions public uh, celebrations public festivals celeb- all of this uh, that was done in under the direction of those elders who had stopped meddling daily on a daily basis in their house and they were contributing their services instead to public dharma and in sanyas of course you withdraw almost completely and uh, study take up a text study it do some sadhana under some guru some sampradaya so that was the cadence but now if you if you order a girl uh, at uh, in 2023 who is 22 years 23 years old that you should marry uh, you know wear a sari with all ghungat all day long even at night and serve your sasuma and your sarsoji and your jethani and devar and cook and Uh, all sorts of foods for them and just serve them completely while they are just sitting and watching big boss mm-hmm. that is something completely an adharmic uh, command we have to be very clear about it that is not something to accede to and at the same time it's very important to remember it is not because of sanatan dharma it is despite of sanatan dharma so i'm not speaking against family here i'm saying that those those individuals we all should have that viveka that what institution is following dharma the greater dharma and what institution is not which individual is following greater dharma and which individual is not 
so mm-hmm. the institution of family is absolutely central to the idea of sanatan dharma if we see certain faults we should rise above it and when we when the choice is given to us when we are married uh, when we create our households we should create a dharmic family we should remember to follow all the paths that dharma and our shastras instruct us to it is our duty to become that umbrella and not just create one family because a peaceful family a dharmic family is actually a great umbrella for a lot of individuals who do not have psychological and spiritual succor in their life i have seen this in my life uh, personally that those families which were spiritually and psychologically sorted they became a safe haven for so many individuals who would find psychological intellectual spiritual solace in them they would come and sit in those houses that here there is peace here there is there are good thoughts here dharma flows so any any couple any family which can create a peaceful environment it is their duty to open their house to those individuals who are in need to create that umbrella family is an absolutely central unit to sanatan dharma i am absolutely for it but we also need to know how it gets corrupted where it gets corrupted what should be the true form and how we should be able to serve it thank you uh, I, yeah i'm so glad you're bringing up all these uh, points because um what we often feed to our children is this sense of duty but um what the elders are looking upon it as a kind of you know what is in it for me so you can't have yeah. both the older people and the youngsters looking uh, upon this institution as what's in it for me and uh, in this it looks like we have borrowed the rights narrative from outside yeah. and it has come in and uh, clashed uh, terribly with the duties narrative that we had and now yeah. it's a big mess there's a lot of corruption and added to that there's an incorrect understanding and there's a lot of forgetfulness about um, you know the goal of sanatan dharma as it is and very interestingly now our young people are seeing that um we have become a culture which is demanding rights and yeah. um you know when when they look outside they see a lot of uh, um you know things going smoothly people following duties and uh, it's almost like they think um that people um you know um follow duties much better abroad because the traffic flows yeah. smoothly and we don't follow any sense of duty here so it's it's such a big corruption that what our children are seeing is an absolutely topsy turvy inverted uh, system right yeah. now so i think this places a big responsibility on our generation to yeah. uh, slowly turn things around and to remember yeah. a lot of things that perhaps for many reasons the older generation has uh, forgotten or not considered um, important and i'm also seeing that uh, a lot of rebels and people who turn woke or whatever it is called are from these very so called traditional families now um, yeah. i know you had previously mentioned that there was a distinction between being traditional and conventional uh, could you please elaborate on that yeah it's actually um you might consider it uh, as uh, it might it may not be a universal distinction but in english language i have found uh, two words and one way to differentiate between what is 
dharmic and what is not in what continues so this is very important a lot of things continue if we consider a span of four or five decades not everything which continues for a while is dharma is tradition we should be very very clear about it tradition is that which has the universal core of sanatan dharma sanatan principles sanatan siddhanta principles fundamentals always in it anything which does not have the eternal core of supreme consciousness of the great sanatan parampara it is not traditional but on the other hand convention is anything which has come into practice in last 3 4 5 decades okay so i can be unconventional and non conventional at the same time being traditional in fact <laughs> in my own personal life i find a lot of times that i am a non conventional traditional person that i will not agree to uh, Uh, the demand of uh, uh, a parent or a, a set of parents who say that uh, uh, they might be brahmin but let's take the example of a brahmin those who say that their son should earn the highest number of uh, uh, highest salary as possible but uh, on the other hand say that uh, they should uh, in every other things in their rights they should accede to their authority no because uh, uh, our goal in life is that when we have enough and enough for ourselves we devote what is left for the society we do not spend everything on ourselves society in the sense greater dharma we serve, we do it in the service of dharma so uh, that is something that uh, we should always be careful about so convention is anything which has been there in the past three or four decades for example uh, social conventions uh, in more in north india than in south india in past 4 5 decades what has happened is that uh, there is a trend of big wedding really big wedding in which uh, people spend to the tune of even lower middle class spend to the tune of 30 easily 30 to 40 lakh rupees in a single night in a uh, in a wedding and in which none of that except 4 or 5 lakh on gold none of that goes into creating anything permanent anything lasting more than one night they spend it all on decoration and fireworks and clothes and food and all of that now the vaishyas always had this tradition because they had so much wealth and they displayed it at a few occasions they lived very frugally the rest of their lives but they would do big weddings but that was they would spend less than 1% of their total wealth in actually their wedding but that uh, trend caught on other fa- other families who were not business uh, families they caught on to this trend and actually got destroyed in that in a lot of homes in north india wedding is a very destructive uh, financially economically in many ways a very destructive thing because you spend 30 to 40 lakhs when your entire life saving is 25 lakh so you spend all of your entire life saving then take a loan of 10 to 15 lakhs lakh to spend in one night which is not even going into the creation of a substantial uh you know future for uh, the newlyweds so now that is a convention that you may very easily cut down very mm-hmm. easily not agree to and say that it is against tradition because tradition is to take do kanyadan from the point of view of the father to actually do kanyadan at the right muhurta which muhurta is less than 10 to 12 minutes which nobody cares about these days in north india because the weddings are always delayed the muhurt is always delayed nobody gets there on time because there are certain number of uh, n number of photo shoots of uh, the bride and the groom and uh, they take that ritual part so frivolously that uh, they are throwing flowers on the pandit 
and agging panditon why are you taking so much time just hurry up so you can have fun so the idea of fun and enjoyment is the only thing which is left with the idea of wedding now in a hindu universe ritual is 100% wedding is 100% ritual and this all of other other things yes you are obliged to give a bhoj give a feast to your fellow uh, your uh, family and friends and the neighbors so that is something which is you are obliged to do but that feast may not have 80 number of sweets one sweet will do so that is no shastra ordains you to do all of that that is just social convention and convention which is actually uh, uh, adharmic which leads to no good so you may very easily forget that hindu society is all about rich hindu marriage is all about rituals taking the feras doing kanyadan at the right time at the right muhurt all other is social convention which has accrued around marriage over a period of time it may and may not be continued as per dharmic and practical convenience of the individuals and families that are engaging in that marriage so we should be very clear about it what is non negotiable is a court marriage uh, is a uh, the kanyadan and muhurt you cannot do court marriage and say it has same uh, the your constitution of course our constitution allow gives us that uh, opportunity to do court marriage but uh, a hindu uh, hindu cosmology won't allow that kanyadan is non negotiable the feras that happen they are non negotiable what is negotiable is the number of sweets that you are distributing so number of sweets that you are distributing is convention kanyadan is not convention that's tradition that we should be very very clear about see in many fam- families these days you know families have turned dysfunctional and there's nothing wrong in i think discussing things like this because uh, there's a lot of resentment among people that i notice um yeah. i mean you you have to be able to air these things for example something that is looked upon as a very traditional family but there is no space for debate or there is no space for dissent and you are supposed to obey something that uh, like you mentioned i think is just a convention and a non dharmic one at that so if you develop the viveka to um, you know put forth a view that is rooted and anchored in tradition then yeah. i think that is a much better way to go for uh, um, you know the middle generation that we belong to to guide our children into coming you know back and uh, embracing sanatana dharma because i think we have to stand behind them at at this point and yeah. uh, that becomes um, very important rather than uh, you know having uh, arguments about uh, you know the the way i guess we had with our older generation it was uh, mostly arguments about you know you're not doing this and you're not doing that and a lot of it was uh, to put it um, you know quite harshly it was based on emotional blackmail in many situations and yeah. not just with our older generation they are older generation themselves face that from their older generation so there yeah. is this whole bunch of you know resentments that people are carrying this big baggage and uh, we do need a sense of uh, you know clarity here so what is the goal and uh, i think uh, many things you have mentioned bring that sense of clarity for example the goal of sanatana dharma what is the goal and then you know your multiple identities are they serving that goal and yeah. um, so when we talk about multiple identities uh, we talk about multiple roles also so depending on your age you have to play a certain role or the whole system collapses right so yeah. that is what we are seeing in families and um yeah. 
um so so how will people know how does the average person know um you know what dharma is because um it's all very well for us to say that the family should be in service of dharma and yeah, you know but how do we know that yeah how do we know that i mean how do we yeah. how can we know that and how can we uh, you know convey that to our children so that yeah. we can understand this whole issue better yeah so there are two ways as i would classify them two very easy way to do that one in these contemporary times it is absolutely necessary for actually almost all of every one of us every hindu to engage in some sort of meditation sadhana to take diksha from any sampradaya any guru traditional or contemporary you might take it from a traditional acharya or you might take it from uh, an organization like chinmay ashram like ramkrishna mission or any other hindu organization and you do sadhana because knowledge is defined in hindu uh, cosmology as knowledge is always there it appears when you do your chitta shuddhi because our truest nature absolute we are the very swarup of absolute truth our true swarup our true true form is hidden through the agency of ego through many births uh, by ignorance so there are veils of ignorance so what you do through sadhana is you remove those veils of ignorance do chitta shuddhi and when the chitta becomes shuddh knowledge starts appearing on its own and when the ultimate knowledge appears that is of course uh, uh, self enlightenment uh, uh, moksha nirvana but uh, uh, that's uh, uh, that's not for everyone in this life but in various degrees increasing your level of consciousness means that uh, uh, you are doing chitta shuddhi so first of all we have to do sadhana we have to do meditation under the guidance of a guru either a traditional sampradaya sampradaya or a contemporary sampradaya and uh, we have to make it regular we can also alternate with a ritualistic practice of jap and tap and home uh, and which is also the adesh of certain uh, sampradayas that you have to do this and that kind of ritual so ritualize our life with a traditional ritual with a uh, under any sampradaya under any guidance of any guru so that our chitta becomes shuddha we see those cosmic patterns and we start seeing knowledge because knowledge as hindu imagines it as hindu universe as hindu cosmology has defined it is not something that you achieve it is your very true nature so knowledge appears on its own from inside you when you do chitta shuddhi so this distinction between dharma and adharma between what is dharmic and what is adharmic what is right and what is wrong will appear inside you when you do sadhana when you do meditation so one very potent method to know what's right and wrong or wrong what is uh, uh, dharma and what is adharma is to do sadhana and meditation second now the time has come and it's very easy also to engage Uh, with gurus with great scholars and great uh, followers of uh, certain shastras and text to actually know what's written in the text we need to know what our shastras say on certain important issues because we then we will have a great idea our shastras are called a shabda pramana now why are they called shabda pramana it's not blind belief shabda pramana is it is called shabda pramana because you can actually anyone can go and check what is written in the vedas by going on an inward journey by doing sadhana and meditation under the guidance of a guru and when he goes on that journey he will find the same truths that has been written in the vedas in our shastras and so far over millennia 
not a single person who has gone on that journey has disagreed from what is written in the Vedas. That's why our Shastras are Shabda Pramana. So one, uh, one Pramana is uh, we, that we get from Sadhana. That's how we know what's right and wrong, what's dharmic and adharmic. And second, we need to be more aware of our Shastras. Now, not everyone will be able to do it, but those who are, they can actually become beacons of uh, those uh, transmitters, let's say, and who can, uh, you know, transmit the signal of what's right and what's wrong in a certain uh, kshetra, certain discipline to many around them. So these are the two ways. I would like to uh, just, uh, uh, I would like to just add one more point to you mentioned dowry, Shalaniji, I guess, earlier. And then people say that they are confused about whether what is dharmic, why is it dharmic or is it not? Now, one confusion about dowry is that, uh, except Bharatvarsh, entire world had the idea of bright price. That was something which was the product of culture, except Sanatan Dharma, all over the world. So, what is what they say? A lot of uh, uh, opponents of dowry they say that uh, this is uh, so cruel that they give away their girl and they give away so much money and everything the girl's uh, family has to give everything and the boy's family just takes. Uh, so what's natural is that if they are giving the girl, then the, which happens in Islam, mehar, although it's a hypocrisy in India because the mehar is like 5,000, then the girl's parents spend in lakhs and they give mehar is just token sake. But in certain Islamic countries and at least in Islamic uh, uh, theory, the boy, uh, boy's family is the one who pays the price for the bride. But that has been, uh, by our dharma shastras, that has been considered a barbaric practice because you are essentially buying the girl. That leads to certain, in many societies in which dharmic constraints are not very uh, tight and strict, it leads to great evil because then fathers start selling their daughters to the greatest bidder. So, what Dharma Shastras do, they once again they create a balance. They actually say that it is a girl who has to bring Istri Dhana. So, we have the, the dowry, nahi, but we had this idea of Istri Dhana that she has to take in order to, because a new family is being created. So, both the families have to come together and contribute money so that this uh, uh, they create a life, a new life around them. And that's what happens also. They give uh, utensils, they give a bed and all so that they both can. Uh, uh, the newly wed can have a comfortable life. They uh, give them sort of a starting loan for uh, commencing on their life. So in order to prevent the practice of bride uh, uh, selling, we had the idea, we created and invented the idea of history dhana, but it was different from what it is now. Okay. The girl could take that dhana with her. That was considered as chala property, movable property, but that was entirely her right. The mother-in-law, the father-in-law, the husband had nothing to say about it. That she had entire right to give it to every anyone that she wanted to, to keep it with herself, to sell if she wanted to, whatever uh, uh, she wanted to do, she could do with it. So Istri Dhan was our idea. Now what happens, see how Sanatan Dhan works as the thermostat. What happened is, is, is that in modern times, after this uh, British uh, uh, constructs came up and uh, these Sarkari jobs and government jobs came up, it the practice went into other stream where the girl's family had to do everything, you know, every sort of uh, expense, and the boy's family had complete right uh, even over the jewelry of the uh, daughter-in-law, which was 
completely adharmic and non shastriya so then you saw that in our society while the society resisted and there is still still lot of dowry goes on our dharmacharyas our dharma gurus and our shastras and our shastri people they actually started saying this is a bad practice you should stop it do not demand dowry of this kind and you know stay away and go away from it so this is how dharma works when they see it going in another direction they clamp the authority in the opposite direction this is how the dharmic thermostat works so so right now the younger generation sees a lot of hypocrisy and uh, that's yeah. why it's really important to have these conversations i still uh, you know keep coming back to that so the younger generation yeah, yeah. is seeing a lot of hypocrisy within the family asking yes. questions searching for answers not finding any answers and then throwing the baby with the bath water so to speak and then blaming sanatan dharma for everything blaming the family blaming uh, you know the hindu structure of society there's a lot yeah. of um, anger and uh, um, lack of clarity and at some point um, we have to start uh, reversing this uh, situation and we had done one prior episode where um, you know um, it was about uh, conversion and um in that the um the girl shruti spoke about how she had a lot of questions but not finding the answers came across all the wrong answers given by people outside the system so yeah. uh, this is a big danger that we are facing and as long as uh, we are uh, not going to you know set the um, problems right within the family uh the family cannot really function as a, a warm blanket you know around um the the young people who are uh, you know yeah. very uh, who are being tempted um to leave the fold from all directions so yeah. um that's why um i hope that uh, uh, we have all um, you know learned so much from this and um, also the um you looking for answers from the original sources you know how things were yeah. and yeah. what things are supposed to be um is really invaluable and the insights that we get from um studying our actual sources so this is what we should be enabling and uh, that is what we are all uh, trying to do and uh, i think there are a lot more things that we will have to discuss in future also on these lines i also wanted to ask you about um are there any um sources uh, for example any books that people could um refer to get an idea of uh, you know all the things that you mentioned for example the varnashram dharma how things are what about the bride price yeah. versus dowry yeah. um, where yeah. where do people learn all these things from as so of now Uh, so uh, of course there is not one book where you get all of these answers because my experience is from whatever i have read and whatever okay. i listened from the gurus uh, but if you wanted to start the works of shri ram swarup ji are really good in getting a very good hold of who we are and who we are not when you read mm-hmm. his hindu view of christianity and islam he gives you a grounding into who you are and who you are not who you are not and when you read his books on uh, on meditations on hinduism and what is revelation you get a very good idea of who we are so actually we should uh, uh, read more of shri ram swarup ji's works and then sita ram ji's works there is a very good book on hinduism published by bharti vidya bhavan by uh, the honorable shankaracharya uh, shri shankaracharya and uh, that is also a very good book we can give the links of uh, 
these books in so that people can go towards that uh, i am trying to write one book and preferably by come uh, chatrubodh and swambodh uh, and uh, get it out by march and april preferably so that uh, in that i will actually cover the idea of who we are the idea of who we are not and what it okay. means being hindu okay yeah we'll, so, we are really looking forward to that <laughs> yeah thank you thank so i think before we end uh, uh, what would be your message to the listeners of the hindu parenting podcast uh, i will say do sadhana get initiated start doing sadhana know what dharma is and in any case in any capacity that you can always serve sanatan dharma because that will serve ultimately your individual rights also the rights of individuals the pleasure and happiness of individual the entire hindu society exists so that individuals can attain happiness in life if we work towards a sanatan hindu society that will mean a society which results in individual happiness and general increase in individual happiness so that is what i would request them to do okay so uh, this has been a, a very uh, uh, you know a very deep and uh, expansive exposition on some very very fundamental principles of sanatan dharma and uh, i think we'll need to discuss a lot more in future uh, so we we are hoping to have you back on the podcast uh, soon uh, pankaj ji uh, to talk about thank you, thank other you. things so too yeah uh, so it's been wonderful talking to you and uh, we look forward to uh, having you uh, with us soon and to our listeners uh, uh, please follow us uh, on uh, social media we are uh, going with the handle hindu parenting on all social media all the prominent ones uh, uh, please subscribe to our substack at hinduparenting.substack.com and uh, also catch us on podcast platforms uh, wherever you f- uh, find it convenient to do so we are on spotify we are on google pod- podcasts and uh, we are on apple podcasts too so uh, that's all we have for now but we and will on youtube also oh yes and we are also <laughs> on youtube <laughs> so please do follow us there too subscribe to us uh, and uh, we shall see you soon with another episode uh, until then namaste